A calm and peaceful heart is the fruit of walking in the Spirit. And that is why Christians are such tranquil, untroubled, unflappable people. Aren't you? If you were walking in the Spirit all the time, you would be. Walking in the Spirit is about living in close relationship with Jesus. It's about being tuned in to the godly desires the Holy Spirit puts within us. It's not just following desires and feelings, though, because we have the Bible as an external guide to warn us when we're in danger of going astray and to stir up our godly desires. And the result of it all is happy, free obedience But we're wanting to learn more about walking in the Spirit, so we've been looking closely at Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. It says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's a list of qualities of character that will grow in us if we walk in the Spirit. We've learned already that when you are walking in the Spirit, love wells up within you and overflows in loving attitudes and selfless actions. Joy too, joy in the Lord, also wells up and overflows in praise. And when you see that happening, you know you're on the right track. You must be walking in the Spirit. But when it stops happening, when the love grows cold and the joy fades, you know you must have taken a wrong turn somewhere you're on the wrong road and you really need to find out how it happened and back up. Peace is next on the list. Peace is the opposite of conflict. It's the absence of conflict. And just like in our everyday use of the word in the Bible, there are different kinds of peace. Sometimes when the Bible talks about peace, it means peace with other people. For example, there is peace between all believers, whatever their personalities and their backgrounds. Well, there should be. At least there is no longer any reason why there should not be peace between believers. It says in Ephesians 2 that he, that is Jesus himself, is our peace, who has made both one, for through him we both have access by the one Spirit to the Father. And someday, when Jesus returns, peace will reign on the earth. There will be no more war, there will be no more fighting, there will be no more conflict between people at all. And sometimes when the Bible talks about peace, it means peace with God. Paul says in Romans, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through the Lord Jesus Christ, our sins have been forgiven. They have been taken away so that God no longer has any quarrel with us. There is no conflict between us and God. And sometimes when the Bible talks about peace, it's talking about an inner state of calm, tranquility, serenity, composure. It's the absence of inner conflict. No guilty conscience making accusations. 
no sense of shame, no anxiety, no worry, no fear, no stress, no conflicting demands, arguing in your head, that kind of thing. This is the kind of peace that was Jesus' parting gift to his disciples when he said, Peace, I leave with you my peace, I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And it's what Paul had in mind when he wrote to the church in Philippi. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Peace that passes all understanding. In other words, when your world is falling to bits, people will look at you and they will say, how can you be so peaceful? I can't understand it. It doesn't make sense. And you'll say back to them, well, I'm not sure that I fully understand it myself, but God is in control and you know I'm okay with whatever he brings my way. Calm and peaceful heart. That is a good kind of peace to have, isn't it? Paul says it guards your heart and mind like a garrison of soldiers surrounding you. That's the idea included in that word he uses keeping you free from fear and worry and stress and temptation. Wow, that is a good kind of peace to have. So there's peace with people, there's peace with God, there's a calm and peaceful heart. Now, how do you know when you read a particular passage what kind of peace it is talking about? Well, actually, it's not that difficult. You know, the same way you know in everyday conversation, we use the word peace in the same three ways. We know which one is meant. Well, you, you just know from the context, from the rest of the things the person is saying. You work out which of those kinds of peace best fits with the rest of what's being said. It's common sense, really. So what kind of peace is Paul talking about here in Galatians chapter 5 when he gives this list of the fruit of the Spirit? Well, again, I think it's pretty obvious, really, because what we have here is a list of qualities of character. He's been talking about love and joy that well up in the heart. So this has to be that third kind of peace, a calm and peaceful heart. A calm and peaceful heart is the fruit of walking in the Spirit. And that is why Christians are such tranquil, untroubled, unflappable people. Aren't you? What, not always? If you were walking in the Spirit all the time, you would be. You worriers and stressors and scaredy cats have a think about that one. Let's take that as our starting point. You're a Christian. You love the Lord, you believe in his word. Why might it be that you are not always peaceful and calm? Let me give you some of the common reasons. You try these ones on and see if they fit. Or maybe they will help you to think of some other possibilities because what I'm going to give you now is not a full list of the possible reasons as to why we are not always at peace. Reasons for lack of peace. The first one I would call anxious yearning. Yearning for what you have not got and what you cannot have. Could be yearning for money, 
could be yearning for possessions, it could be yearning for security, it could be yearning for a wife or a husband, or it could be yearning for no wife or no husband, it could be yearning for a holiday, yearning for, well, whatever you think of that you might yearn for. Now, if it says in the Bible, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus, and it does say that, And if God keeps all his promises, and he does keep all his promises, then what you have just now must be all that you need just now. So then, trust him and be content. He knows exactly what you need, and he knows exactly when you need it. And when you need it, it will come knocking at your door, according to God's promise. Seek his kingdom first and his righteousness and leave it to him. All the necessities will be added to you. You know what? If you can't let that thing you're yearning for go, then it's most likely that it has become more important to you than God is. So maybe it's best you don't have it just now. Because you do want God to be number one in your life, don't you? But the issue really is, do you believe him when he says he'll supply all of those needs? That's what it comes down to. Do you believe him when he says he will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory? Do you believe it enough to be at peace about it? The next one is worry. This is a big one. It affects so many people. Worry, ruminating on problems, Searching for answers that cannot be found. That's what worry is. Jesus said, don't worry. He said, take no anxious thought, not even for basic necessities. I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor your body, what you will put on. Do you think was he serious about that? Do you think he meant it? When he said it, he gave seven good reasons not to worry and seven things you can do to stop it. I'm not going to list them all for you now. You read Matthew chapter 6 sometime, see if you can find them all. But here's what it comes down to. When you worry, just like when you yearn for things you don't and can't have, you're not trusting God. You're not taking him at his word. That again is the real issue. Do you believe that God is looking out for you? Do you believe it enough to be at peace, whatever might be happening to you? The next reason for lack of peace is ongoing problems, unresolved problems. I mean the kind of things that when they're not attended to, they hang over you as a threat. Maintenance jobs not attended to, paperwork that has piled up, tax forms that are not filled in, cleaning and ironing that has been neglected, unresolved tensions with people. Those are the kind of things I have in mind here. This time it's not, at least not at first, so much a matter of trusting God. It's more a matter of getting down to it and getting yourself sorted and doing the things. But of course, if there's a good reason for not having those things attended to, Perhaps there are other more important things. Maybe you have been ill, whatever. There are good reasons for not having those attended to. Then it becomes a matter of faith again. As David said in Psalm 31, As for me, I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. If some things can't be attended to just now, 
then you've just got to leave them in God's hands and trust him and refuse to worry and be anxious about them. But of course, if there are things that are not attended to and they're robbing you of peace, then walking in the spirit is sorting them out and getting them out of the way. There's one particular unresolved problem that robs us of peace and that definitely must be attended to and that is unresolved sin. You can't be at peace when you're carrying a guilty conscience and you're not walking in the spirit until you bring that sin to God and confess it and repent of it and then take God at his word when he says in his word you're forgiven. He says if we confess our sins he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So don't be anxious anymore once you have done that. Believe him. Take him at his word. Your sin is gone and it's never to be remembered. And then my last example of things that do away with peace is pushing your body beyond what it's able for. Pushing your body beyond what it's able for. You see, everyone has limits. We have physical limits and we need rest when we reach those limits. We have emotional limits. There is only so much pressure and stress and grief that you can cope with. Now, we can push ourselves beyond our limits from time to time, and there are times when we have to do that. Sometimes there's no choice, and that's okay. It's not going to do you any harm in the short term to stretch yourself a bit. We ought to, from time to time, stretch ourselves in living for the Lord. But you can't sustain it in the long term. If you try to sustain it, pushing yourself beyond your limits, then through time, peace will go and anxiety will build up. It's your body or your mind telling you that it's under too much pressure and that it needs a break. Now, of course, your limits aren't steady and fixed. They change from time to time. As you get older, you're probably able to cope with less than when you were younger. At times when you're ill, you can't cope with as much as when you are feeling well and so on. The the limits vary from time to time. And that makes knowing what your limits are a bit tricky. But you must learn to live and to work within the limits most of the time. And trust God with regard to the rest. For example, you've got to organize your life so that you get the sleep your body needs and for you that might be different to the amount of sleep that I need and different to the amount of sleep that somebody else needs. You've got to work with the body God has given to you. You've got to be careful not to take on more commitments than you can handle. It doesn't matter how pressing the need is. It doesn't matter if it looks like you're the only one who can do it. It doesn't matter if it looks like it is a really good thing to do. God has given you your particular body with its own set of strengths and weaknesses. And if he hasn't supplied what you need to do something, then maybe he doesn't want you to do it. And you've got to be able to say things like, I'm sorry, Mr. Employer, but I'm only able to do my very best for you. I will work for you with a clear conscience before God. And if that's not enough and you're not happy with that, well then actually what I'm going to do is I'm going to trust God for the outcome. Because really he's in charge of my life and not you. Hmm. We're back to faith again, aren't we? 
Now, what we're really concerned about this morning, what we really want to learn about is walking in the Spirit. Our real concern is not how to deal with worry and stress. But these examples of things that can rob us of peace are going to help you to learn something important about what it means to walk in the Spirit. If peace is the fruit of the Spirit, then when you walk in the Spirit, peace happens. And the things that stop it happening, well, did you notice that common theme in them? All of them sooner or later come back to faith. The things that prevent the experience of peace are largely down to not living by faith. The thing Paul mentioned back in verse 5 of Galatians chapter 5, where he said, We through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. Through the Spirit, we eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness, and we wait living by faith. Living by faith and walking in the Spirit are the key themes of this chapter, the key ideas in it. They're the keys to godly living. And what we're learning here, I think, is that the two go hand in hand. Walking in the Spirit calls for faith. It depends on living by faith. But also, actually, if you look at verse 5 closely, you'll see that living by faith depends on the Spirit. We, through the Spirit, wait by faith. Living by faith depends on walking in the Spirit, and walking in the Spirit depends on living by faith. Hand in hand, one requires the other. So then, walking in the Spirit requires that you live like the things God has promised and the things God has told us are absolutely true, certain, sure, rock-solid, dependable. You live believing what God has said, living as if his word is true, humbly submitting to it, even if it doesn't make sense, persevering, whatever happens. But then you come back to me and you say, but yeah, I do believe God's word. It's just that sometimes the problems in my life are so big. And sometimes there are so many of them. There's just too much that seems to be going on. What's needed there is bigger faith. And the key to bigger faith is a bigger God. Oh, God is very big. You can't make him bigger. You don't have to make him bigger. But if you could just see it, If you could just get a glimpse of how very, very powerful God is. If you could just get a glimpse of what God is capable of doing. If you could get along with that a vision of how infinitely good and loving our God is and how full of grace and wisdom he is. If you could just see that, it wouldn't matter how big the problems are, would it? Because God is bigger. Any problem, however big. How do I do that, you ask? How do I get to know that bigger God? Well, I think you just have to get thrilled with God. You have to get excited about God. You have to be full of God. You have to have the thought of God and his amazing grace and his almighty power firmly there in your mind at all times never far from you. Okay, you say, but I feel another objection coming on. I do trust God, 
I do know he can do things, amazing things, beyond what I can imagine. But sometimes I forget. Sometimes the worry has started before I know it. Sometimes the yearning just comes on me and, oh, there I am, in a flap again. I think that's probably the habit thing coming on again. You remember we talked about it last week? A habit is something that you practice to the point where it becomes second nature to you and you get into certain circumstances and it just happens unless you deliberately stop it happening. The habits of the flesh, they're ground in, they become part of us. And your head, you know, it's so well practiced in being anxious and worrying that it just does it without you having to try sometimes. What you need to do at this point is to remember that the desires of the flesh have been nailed to the cross. We have crucified the desires of the flesh. Remember we talked about that? They're nailed to the cross. Don't let them climb down again. As soon as those anxious thoughts rear their head, you've got to hit them with a big stick. Tell them to get back up where they belong. Paul says, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And then the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep and guard your mind through Christ Jesus. Don't be anxious. And when those anxious thoughts creep up on you and take you unawares, immediately say, get back up on that cross, I'm going to pray I'm going to come to God, I'm going to bring my requests to him, and I'm going to pray with thanksgiving. I'm not going to get down and worry on my knees. I'm simply going to bring it to God and give thanks to him and praise him for his goodness and leave it in his hands. Keep doing that until the habit is well and truly broken and that desire the flesh has to be in control is nailed to the cross with stronger nails. One more objection. Sometimes the problems take me by surprise and they knock me off balance and I find myself in a flap. What am I going to do about that? Sometimes, yes, I, I believe God's word. I trust him. I know how, how great he is. I know how big he is. I'm trying to deal with those habits. But sometimes something happens and it just takes you so completely by surprise it knocks you off balance. What then? I think what has to happen there is that if you want to be ready for them, then your walk with the Lord has to be really, really close. And I think that's what Jesus meant when he said in John chapter 15, Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. A relationship with Jesus that's as close and tight as the relationship of the branch with the vine. Walking ever so closely with Jesus, constantly communicating with him, constantly keeping him in your thoughts, constantly recalling his word. So then, the lessons for today, what have we learned so far? Walking in the Spirit. You know you are when even as the trials are raging, your heart is at peace in a way that apart from God would be quite impossible. And you know you're not when you're getting into a flap. We've learned that walking in the Spirit depends on living by faith. And it requires big faith in a big God. It depends on keeping the desires of the flesh firmly nailed to the cross. 
And it's about a relationship with Jesus, such a close, close relationship, constantly in communication, constantly bringing needs to him, constantly in tune with the godly desires he has placed within you, constantly stirring up those desires with his word. You see, the more you walk in the Spirit, the more you walk closely with the Lord Jesus, the more you will find yourself living by faith. Walking in the Spirit, living by faith, the two go hand in hand. One last thought, and I say this lest you become a bit discouraged at this stage because that could happen very easily with all this talk about love and joy and peace. What I want to remind you of at this stage is the fact that fruit is something that grows. Don't be discouraged if the fruit of the Spirit hasn't yet ripened to full maturity in your life. Maybe you've still got a few things to learn. Fruit grows just as walking in the Spirit is about a relationship that grows. That relationship with Jesus grows and develops and matures. And as the relationship grows, then you will see more love. You will experience more joy. And you will experience more peace, just as long as it is growing. That's the thing. Constant love overflowing in selfless acts. Constant joy overflowing in praise. Constant peace no matter what. I think that would be heaven. The question is, is it growing? Is there more love, more joy and more peace than there was? Is it? You remember what I said at the beginning of this series? The theme is godliness. We want to find out what it is. We want to find out how it's attained. We want to find out why it's so rare. We want to find out why it's so slow to develop. But I said as well that the goal of these sermons is a different you, a more godly you. I've said, yes, I know you're good people. The grace of God is evident in your lives, and it is. But there's none of us as godly as we might be. So I want to ask you at this stage, how are we doing? Has anybody noticed the difference yet? Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the peace that you have granted to us. Peace that passes all understanding. The peace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not a peace that the world gives. Oh Father, we pray that you would help us to enjoy that peace more. Forgive us that through our lack of faith we allow ourselves to be ruffled, to get into a flap, to become anxious, to become worried, to become fretful. Help us, Lord, to learn to trust you. Increase our vision of you so that our faith might grow bigger. Help us, Lord, to put to death those old habits of the flesh that lead us into anxiety and worry. And help us, our Father, to learn to walk ever so closely with the Lord Jesus. So that when the trials of life come and the surprises that the devil throws at us come our way, we pray, Lord, that we would not be thrown into a panic, but that our faith would remain constant that our peace would remain, that our joy might continue to overflow in praise and that we might continue to love others with selfless acts. In Jesus' name.